Before we, um, before we get started, I'm going to uh, I'm gonna pray. I'm going to ask you to, um, as you're turning there, you can keep turning there, but as we pray, I'm going to pray for us. You pray for me. Um, this wor- the, the word I think God has for us, and it, this is every week, but I, I do just feel a sense in that I do think this word can be so good for our souls this morning if we'll let it. So uh, I'm going to pray, pray for us, you pray for me, and then we'll all be prayed for, okay? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this word. Dear God, I pray right now the same thing that I prayed every service this morning, that it would go out like a cup of cold water to thirsty souls, dear God. Dear Lord, I pray that where I'm in the way, you would get me out of it. And dear God, I pray that this would be about you and your cross and your salvation and your satisfaction. And dear God, just what clearly is offered us. Let that be the case this morning. We come to you with an eager and expecting hearts, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Have you ever considered just how foolish Christmas is? Now, it's not a pastoral thing to say, but I'm going to say it a bunch here in the next few seconds. Christmas is foolish. It's utterly foolish, okay? The, the, the thought that, this is, that, that God, the God of the universe, the God who speaks and things come into being, the thought that God was looking out on the universe, right? And of all the galaxies that he made, he chose this one little obscure galaxy. And then in this vast galaxy, he chose this one little obscure solar system. And in this uh, obscure solar system, he chose this obscure rock, the third one from the sun, that had land masses, right? And, had, uh, and he focused his attention here. And on this obscure rock, the third one from the sun, he found the most obscure place on that, on that rock. And he found the most obscure people from that obscure place. And to those people came a man who was the Son of God incarnate, our salvation. Can I just tell you, intellectually, that is foolish. But it is the foolishness of the world that is the wisdom of God. Because this story is the story of our salvation. And it's why we revisit Christmas every single year. You ever thought about that? We essentially live 10 months out of every year waiting until we can put the Christmas tree up. And some of y'all ain't quite been sanctified enough yet to understand that you can put it up before Thanksgiving. It's all right. God's working on y'all, all right? But we live waiting to revisit this story. You know what I'm saying? Man, those lights start going. I hate decorating. I love it when Jenna says it's time to put this tree up. Because we, start, we can't help but revisit this story every single year. The story of how in the strangest way possible, God determined to save the world. And today we're going to look at another strange element in the story, God's decision to use Mary. And if I'm honest with you, uh, I feel like it's the strangest part of the entire story. And we'll talk about it more as we go. Look, look with me at Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 38. Here's what Scripture says. In the sixth month, that the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now, let me pause right there and give you a little uh, running commentary here. When Gabriel, when God came uh, to Gabriel and said, "Gabriel, I got a job for you. I want you to go to Nazareth." All right, here's what Gabriel did. I'm almost 100% sure he pulled out whatever form of angelic smartphone he did and pulled up ways to figure out where Nazareth was at, okay? Because Nazareth is a podunk town in the middle of nowhere. 
okay? Now, you might be thinking, oh, it's like Simpsonville or Fountain Inn. No, it's not, all right? I, I mock you people who think Simpsonville and Fountain Inn are small cities, okay? I come from a city that has one red light, all right? This is, Nazareth is more like my hometown, right? People have never heard of it. So it's not as if God comes to Gabriel and says, Gabriel, I want you to visit New York City. That's not what Nazareth is. It is an outskirt of nowhere, okay? And we'll talk more about that, but it's really important to have the context. Verse 27, he came to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. Now, this is, this is really good. Historically, the way a woman in the first century culture would have been identified is what Luke just did for us. By telling us who she, whose house she was of and telling us she was betrothed to a man of another house. Now, culturally, this was just the moment they lived in. But I love what God's about to communicate to us through his word. Culturally, it may, it may seem as if this person is a nobody, a no one. She's just someone married to Joseph of the house of David. But notice what the scripture says. And the virgin's name was Mary. God knew her name. This little tiny place on the outskirts of nowhere that means nothing, and this person was a nobody, God knew her name. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. All right, the angel shows up to Mary, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord's with you. And the, and, but she was greatly troubled and at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this may be. I love it. The angel shows up and immediately Mary's lost, okay? So the angel comes and says, Greetings, O favored one. But I love the description it gives us of Mary here because it says she was greatly distressed. Now let's talk about it. She was distressed at the saying. Why is that? Because in Scripture, anytime someone Runs, in, runs into an angelic being, their most immediate concern is, oh no, I am going to die. Okay. Now, this is why Mary is so confused at this, because this doesn't seem to be that the angel's coming to kill her. Right? It says she was greatly distressed at his saying. What saying is that? Oh, greetings, oh favored one. So Mary, put, her, put yourself in her shoes. This is an angel, and he could kill me if he wants to, but it seems as if he's coming in peace. Oh, greetings, oh favored one. So she's working through this. Mary is understandably lost. Now, let me add one caveat to this. The, one of the greatest disservices we do to Mary in modern Christendom is that we assume Mary's a 30-year-old woman, okay? Now, ladies, 30-year-old 30, 30 enough, okay? Wouldn't this scene just be troubling enough if you were 30, right? But by the time you're 30, you're, you can deal with this a little bit better because you can say, well, I thought I was going crazy, but now I know, right? That Mary's a child, a young lady. When, in, in this context, when someone was betrothed to be married, we're talking about a, a young woman between the ages of 13 and 16. Mamas, how would your teenage daughters take this vision from an angel? So when we see that she's, that, that she's greatly troubled, this is understandable. She's, she's processing a lot. But now listen, if up until this point she's been troubled, her world's about to get turned upside down. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Let's just state the obvious here. If Mary was confused before, she's lost now. Now, I love verse 34 because it carries 
so much rich doctrine for us, but what can only be the logical question to be asked by Mary. Look at what Mary says. Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? Can we just all agree that at this point, that's probably the best question to be asked? Now, see, see, what we understand here is Mary, Mary knows how this works. And this angel's coming to her saying, you will have a child. And Mary's saying, that's not how any of this works. How is this possible that I am a virgin and you say I have a baby? Now, I, this is a complete uh, side note here, but I, I've talked about it in every service because I feel like this is really important. This one verse carries with it the doctrine of what we call the, vir- the virgin birth, the virgin conception. That Jesus was not born of man. Jesus was born to woman of God. Now, this is why I think this is so important. It is my personal conviction that this is the doctrine upon which all of Christian apologetics, that is the defense of the Christian faith, rises and falls. The doctrine of the virgin birth. Okay, Because here's the deal. If Jesus was born to a woman of God, nothing else Jesus does in Scripture surprises me. You see what I'm saying? It, it, the fact that Jesus is God, born to a woman, that makes everything else make sense. It's not that surprising that Jesus is someone who can take uh, a, few loaves of fi- uh, a few loaves of bread and a few fish and feed 5,000 people if he's God, right? It's not that surprising to me that Jesus can raise, be, uh, rise up from the dead, right, if he's God. What's more surprising to me is that God agreed to die. You see what I'm saying? This is the doctrine upon which our defense of, uh, of the faith rises and falls. Because listen to me, and I've seen this happen over and over and over again, right? This is where every discussion on this starts in every seminary class I've ever had, okay? When we begin to move in a progressive direction in our faith, when our faith tends to liberalize to sound more like the world and less like the Bible, this is the doctrine that goes first. Why is that? Because we know that's not how this works. And Mary knew that's not how this works. So she asked the question, how can this be since I'm a virgin? It's a logical question. But God's not interested in Mary's obstacles. Look at verse 35. The angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy the Son of God. Now, I have to point out here, this is some very distinct language that we need to take note of. Because even in first, the first century world, the thought of a God coming down and, and being with a woman and producing human offsprings is not out of the question in first century culture. Does anybody remember the story of Hercules, right? It's not just a famous Disney movie, okay? Uh, if you haven't ever seen Hercules, like y'all are staring at me, like go home and, and watch it, okay? <laughs> Uh, it's, it's prime time Disney movies, all right, back when they were good. And, and so, but if, we've ever, if we remember the story of Hercules, right, we remember that Hercules was what? The son of Zeus and the daughter of a, I mean, the, the son of a woman, right? He, he, was, uh, he was half God, half human. Now, how did that happen? It happened the way all the rest of the births happened. Scripture here is, Luke is writing in a very distinct way. Gabriel is speaking in a very distinct way to show that's not how this happens. Okay? Christianity is not like other pagan cultures that said, well, God come to us and this is how he come to us. No, we're, the, 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 a God like human came to us. What Christianity teaches is that God himself came to us. Notice what it says. It says the Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. This is language that harkens directly back to Genesis 1, verse 1. Does anybody remember what it says? And the earth was empty and without form, and the Spirit of God hovered over the the face of the waters. 
In other words, where the Spirit of God goes and hovers, He creates something where there was nothing. And what Scripture is telling us is that, as odd as it sounds, the Spirit of the living God hovered over Mary, and where there was no baby, there became a baby. That's all Scripture says. The rest of it's a mystery. How it works, I don't know. Okay, that's what happens. Though. Verse 36. Behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. That's t- talking about John the Baptist there. Verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. There's your answer, Mary. Mary has asked a very, very valid question. God, how can this happen? God's answer, nothing's impossible. Not when I speak. Verse 38, and Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Here's what I want us to do. I want us to notice first off here that this passage is full of Christological claims. Does everybody understand what I'm saying? It it claims about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done and why Jesus is so important. Look with me at verse 31. Let's see what the angel Gabriel is claiming about Jesus. This is really important because the Christian faith is a faith that is built on claiming things about Jesus. What does angel Gabriel claim about Jesus? In verse 31, here's what he tells Mary. He says that you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name what? Jesus. Now that very name, Jesus, means God saves. So what the angel Gabriel is saying is you're going to have a son and your son will be called God, the one who saves. Now he's already saying something if he didn't say anything else, but he keeps going. Verse 32, he will be great. He will be high. He will be lifted up. He will be greater than us. And what will he be called? Listen to this. He will be called son of the most high. The angel has just told Mary, you will have a child and his name will be son of God. Now, this is, this, is big, this is big stuff. What the angel has just come and told Mary is that the Son of God, the Savior who we all need, He's coming to earth, Mary, and He's going to come through you. So this is why we can't ignore Mary, okay? We can't ignore Mary at Christmas time because we cannot miss that Christ comes to us through Mary. So we need to give due attention to Mary. Mary's womb literally becomes a holy of holies, the place where God dwells. So we're going to give Mary proper consideration. Now, as we do that, listen, there are two sides of the ditch that we can fall in when we start to consider Mary and the Christmas story. Two, two ways people have gone wrong throughout history as we talk about Mary. Number one, when we start talking about Mary and Christmas, one side of the ditch is to fall into a mindset where we begin to worship and revere Mary as the mother of God. Okay, And, and so uh, this is no disrespect to any tradition that you may have come from, uh, but primarily in the Catholic Church, uh, one way we just, that Christians have fallen into the ditch is that the Catholic Church tends to venerate Mary. Right? They tend to, if you grew up saying Hail Marys, this is what that was all about. You are elevating Mary to a place of worship. Now, listen, Mary's exceptionally important because through Mary came Jesus, okay? But we're not going to venerate her, okay? That's one side of the ditch you can fall into. The other side of the ditch, and if I can just be so blunt as to talk to the people in the room, this is the ditch that evangelicals have fallen into for far too long, is that instead of revering Mary, we disregard her altogether. And we act as if she's not actually a character in this story, not actually the person who the mother of God has come, the mother of God who Jesus has come to us through. So we're going to give her proper respect. Now, as we do that, I want to sum up everything we need to focus on with Mary in two words, two words this morning. 
If you're taking notes, I want you to write down these two words. Number one, I want you to write down surrender. And number two, I want you to write down favor. As we give due attention to Mary, we're going to see these elements played out in Mary's life in a way that really teaches us something. Now, before I dive into those two words, let me offer you something that I think may encourage you this morning. I have been so encouraged by the simplicity of Mary's story. The utter simplicity of essentially a child. God coming to, child, to a child and saying, you're going to be the mother of the Son of God. And the child saying, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be done to me. Can I just tell you, I've been, I've been so encouraged by that. It's been like, it's been refreshing for me. Let me, let me tell you why. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand in just a second, and maybe you can relate to this, okay? But has anybody, no, don't raise your hand yet, over the past six months to two years, anybody tired? And what I mean by tired, all right, listen, I don't mean like you didn't sleep good last night, okay? I mean, are you weary? I mean, like, are you laying your head down at night, and you just, you want to go to sleep, but you got a little knot in your chest? And I, I'm about to, I, I'm going to give you something to relate it to here, okay, like just personally and what I mean, because I, I didn't think I was weary, and maybe you know, God's kind of peeling back some of that of me. So what I'm about to say, I'm not saying for you, your sympathy, okay? Don't come up to me later and say, Pastor, you got it so bad, all right? I'm saying it so you can relate, okay? But this is what I mean by weary, okay? I mean that I've got a five-year-old who seems like she's going on 35 years old that I have to pray about five times a day, Lord, give me some wisdom, because I don't know. It seems like my bathroom always needs to be clean, right? Like I clean it, and then like two days later, I need to clean it again. My wife is 22 weeks pregnant, and there are some of you guys in here that y'all, y'all, some of you ladies, I should say, all right, y'all just loved being pregnant, and being pregnant wasn't hard for y'all, and it was just a breeze. Can I just tell you, I don't like you, all right? Because my wife does not like being pregnant, and don't ask her about it, because that's just going to make it worse, but she, she's tired, right? And because when she's tired, like, I'm feeling that, and we're up to about 65, 70 groups at the church, and I'm trying to oversee these 70 groups, and I'll be honest with you, there's group leaders who, they won't respond to my emails, and that's kind of working with me a little bit. I'm gritting my teeth, and, and the, the Harrison Bridge has gone from essentially zero with COVID to about 450 in the time we've been back meetings for COVID, and here's the truth. I don't know your name and that really bothers me like I see you and I want to know your name I want to love you and I don't and that, that bothers me and so all of this and this is just kind of building up and then we get to December and I don't know if you know this but December for pastors is kind of a death march right you're just walking to your untimely you're going to fall out from a heart attack because there's something you've got every Friday night and Saturday night and when you don't have something you sit on the couch and somebody texts you and says they need you to come right and then I say a really ugly thing that I have to pray for repentance on <laughs> That's what I mean. Some of y'all are like, man, you got a lot worked out. I'm okay, I promise. I promise I'm fine. Now, that being said, is anybody else in here feel weary sometimes? R raise your hand. Don't be, don't be a bad. Just hold it up for a second. Don't put it down. Here's what I want you to do. Look around. Now, here's the deal. Here's the deal. The temptation when that becomes the case is to begin to approach Christianity, to approach our walk with Jesus as another thing to, be, to get done in the midst of everything else we have to get done. 
And what happens is, is we approach God as a thing to check off a box instead of the one thing in our life that runs everything else. And I just have been so encouraged by Mary's story this week as a reminder of what it looks like to actually follow God. Let's talk about it. First thing I want us to see, I want us to see the element of surrender in Mary's life. Surrender, number one, is the, number one, surrender is the heart of servanthood. Surrender is the heart of servanthood. Look at verse 38 with me. Mary says this to the angel, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. I love that Mary's final words to the angel are this, I am a servant of the Lord. Isn't that what we're all after? And I, I mean for those of us who actually take this stuff seriously, right? If you're actually a Christian, like, and you love Jesus, and you don't just come here because you're out of obligation, I mean, like, you're, you're real about this stuff. Isn't that what we're all after? That, that, that we would get to the place in our life where we could, in just peace and confidence, say, I'm a servant of the Lord. Let it be done to me as you say, God, because I belong to you. Man, that's what I want for my life. I want for my life what Mary's offering up to the angel. I'm a servant of the Lord. Whatever he wants is what I want. The question is, how do we actually get there in the midst of what we're living called life? And here's the answer. We get there through surrender. Continual, repeated Day in, day out, over and over again, even though your bathroom needs to be clean, even though your kids are driving you crazy, even though work's more than you expected, continual surrender is how we get to the place that we're a servant of the Lord. Now, surrender, here's what it means. It, Mary shows us what it means. It means that we don't offer objections to what it is God wants to do. I, I love this story. Mary does not attempt to barter with God. You ever thought about that? This story would have been a lot more believable for me if when the angel came to Mary, Mary would have said, okay, listen, I get it. 14 now, though, if you could give me two more years, I'm yours, right? And th that would have been so much more believable if she attempted to barter with God. But Mary does not attempt to barter with God. She says, I'm a servant of the Lord, whatever you want to do. Here's what we have to understand. Servants do not get to set the parameters or direction of their master. But now I want, you to, I want to help you understand something. That doesn't mean mindless obedience. You see, Mary asked a question. God's not interested in, in cramming down on you and forcing you to do something you don't understand. God's interested with you walking with this through him. So Mary says, I am a servant of the Lord, but she still asks questions. Ultimately, here's what, Mary, here's what we see of Mary. Mary takes a blank check, and she lays it before God, and she says, God, this is my life. This is all I have. Use me. Now, for those of you who are under 25, this is called a check. Well, you, your parents used to write these a lot, all right? Not so much anymore, but ask them, if you got questions, just catch me after service, okay? She lays that check down and says, God, I'm yours. This has application for us. Here's what we need to understand. You cannot be a servant of God if you are not surrendered to what God wants to do. You cannot be a servant of God if you are not surrendered to what God wants to do. So many of us attempt to negotiate the terms of our service to God. We say, I'll go this far. I'll do this much. I'll give this amount. Mary shows us that that's not how servanthood works. It is about not, it's not about meeting a list of demands. That's what we do when we get tired. Okay, I'll come in here and meet this list of demands. 
It's about removing the demands and the terms off the table and saying, God, I'm yours. Here's my life. Now, let me be real clear on this. I think this is something that each of us have to grow in. Here's what I mean. You don't get saved and know exactly what that looks like for your life the moment you get saved. Because here's what happens. I think this happens for all of us. We write this check, we lay it down before God, and then after we've laid it down, we realize we had some stuff in other accounts that we, we could have moved around and given it to God too. So what we have to do, listen, is take that one back and go and get another one, and the next day give to God everything we got that day. And then the next day, we do it again and again and again. And we have to understand this. This is something that is not a one-time thing. I can promise you when Mary woke up the next day, and, she, or, or, and as Mary went six months in, she started feeling those kicks and flutters. You know what she had to do again? She had to surrender again. This is, not something, this is something that we do day in and day out. This is something we grow in. And my five-year-old reminded me of this, right? I told you all this story just a, a little while ago. Uh, but if we could just be honest and understand that we have to grow in this. We were riding down the road, and uh, we were telling Danny about how we, we have to tithe. And her question was, do you, are you telling me that God's telling, God wants me to give him some of my money, right? And Jenna says, that's exactly what I'm telling you. And Danny's response was, I feel like God's asking too much sometimes. And if we're honest, the only difference between us and a five-year-old is that the five-year-old's got courage enough to say it. Because we do. We feel like, God, you're asking too much. God, I, 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 this is way out over my skis. I'm not ready for this, God. I don't feel like I can do it. So here's what we've got to understand. This is not something we get perfect. This is something that we grow in. Surrender day in and day out. And ultimately, here's what Mary teaches us. Listen to me. We can live with a let it be done to me as you say mindset or we can live with a let it be done to me as I say mindset. But somebody's going to call the shots in our life. I so desperately want us to see that this is the simplicity of being a Christian. It's not... It's not all these things that we've got in our mind that we've got to get done. It's coming to Jesus with this mindset and saying, let it be done to me as you say. Mary's, Mary's story is about surrender. Second thing I want us to see is this. Mary's story is about grace. Mary's story is about favor. Number, point number two, lowliness shows the need for God's favor. Lowliness shows the need for God's favor. Now, let me, let me yell at you for a second about something because I want you to get the point, okay? You do not earn grace. Okay, I'm going to say it one more time because you're church people, okay? And church people are hard-headed and church people don't get this. You do not earn grace. The way so many of us think about our walk with Jesus is that if I read my Bible, if I pray, if I come to church, if I serve in kids, if I play on worship band, if I give, if I do all these things, then I get God's grace. Okay? I, I want you to understand this. That's not grace. That's merit. That's trying to get what you deserve. And listen to me. I love you. You don't want what you deserve. Okay? You don't earn grace. Grace is given freely. Mary is a perfect example of this. There's, Mary puts this on display for us because, listen to me, there is nothing about Mary that deserved God's favor. 
I, I felt kind of bad as I realized this this week, but I think a lot of times we kind of make people, we, we make biblical characters far off and better than us. Listen to me. Mary's not better than you. Mary was not deserving of God's favor. She is the definition of a lowly person. She's the definition of a lowly person. She was a nobody from nowhere. Think about this with me. She was a teenager. And listen, a lot of things have changed culturally over the years. But by and large, the way we view young teenagers has not changed. You know the way we see them? Maybe one day they'll be useful for something. And I'm not saying that to be mean. Parents, I've never had one parent come up to me and say, the middle school years, they're the best. <laughs> I really haven't, right? Like, I'm waiting for the one that's like, man, my sixth grader was great, right? Why is that? Because the way, we view, the way we view teenage years is maybe one day they'll have potential. Maybe one day, I think I see this in them and they'll, they'll be put to good use. But by and large, here's what we think. Not right now. Why? They're lowly. They're, they're not good for what we think they may be good for one day right now. Can I just tell you, that's Mary. Nobody's walking around Galilee in the first century thinking, you know what, Mary's a real mover and a real shaker. Maybe she's the next, like, ruler, right? Nobody was saying that. She was a nobody from nowhere. Listen, the Bible's trying to clue us in on something by telling us where Mary's from. The Bible's trying to tell us that Mary's not even a good Jew. Think about this. How did you earn God's favor in the first century, right, under the law? If you wanted to earn some, some approval, you, had, you better keep that law, right? You better eat kosher. You better obey the Sabbath. You better obey the Ten Commandments. You better obey them, right? Mary, by the Bible telling us that Mary's from Galilee, the Bible's saying she didn't really do that that well. Why? Galilee was a place where many people mixed together, where Gentiles and Jews mixed together. And because there was so much, uh, there was so much of a mixture that the Jews really didn't keep kosher and keep the law there because they just couldn't. There was too, big, there was too much of a mixture. So because of that, that, we're looking at somebody who had done nothing for God to look down and say, I tell you what, that person's a real good Jew. That person keeps the law perfectly. As a matter of fact, it goes even further by telling us she's from Nazareth. Now, Nazareth is literally the bottom of the barrel in, the fir in first century Judaism. As a matter of fact, we know it's so bottom of the barrel, if you go back and read John chapter 1, there's this exchange between Philip and Andrew, these brothers who think they found the Messiah, and Andrew comes and finds the Messiah, and he says, or it may be Philip and Nathaniel, I can't remember right off the top of my head, but one of these brothers go to, their, to, go to the Messiah, go to their brother, Philip, right? He goes to him and says, brother, I've found Messiah. Now, I love Philip's response. Andrew and Nathaniel, whichever one, says to Philip, he says, we found the Messiah from Nazareth. Here's Philip's response. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? In other words, brother, I love you. But whatever you think you found, it ain't the Messiah. Mary is the definition of a lowly person. But let me give you a gospel truth this morning. I, I mean, beat this in your head, okay? The kingdom of God is only for lowly people. The kingdom of God is only for lowly people. The kingdom of God is not for important people. The kingdom of God is not for movers and shakers. The kingdom of God is not for people who can get there on their own. The kingdom of God is not for people who don't need God. The kingdom of God is for lowly people. Over and over and over again in Scripture, God comes to the lowly. God prizes the lowly. God defends the lowly. God loves the lowly. And what does he tell us he does, does with the proud? He opposes the proud. 
Why? Because proud people sit on thrones, and in God's economy, there's only one person who gets to sit on a throne. His name is Jesus Christ. The sad part is we live in this world where every single one of us is fighting to avoid being lowly. You know, in that, in, think about how, this was convicting to me. The worst thing you can be in American society is unimportant. This is why we, even if we're not on Facebook, we have to have a Facebook because if there's a chance that somebody needs to know our name, we need to have it out there. Because the worst thing you can be is a nobody. We try to climb the ladder. We try to become more important. We try to do big things. We try to make a big difference. We try to leave our mark. And so, some of that may be even, may be even done in, in, in a good heart. But when we leave that and start getting to a place where we're trying to become important, man, here's what's crazy. The harder we work to avoid lowliness, the more we remove ourselves from the scope of God's blessing and God's favor. Listen. God doesn't need important people. Listen, he's important enough. You think your importance is going to add to his importance? It doesn't work that way. The kingdom of God is for lowly people. And listen, you may have come in here this morning and you may be hurting and you may be tired and you may feel like no one knows your name and you may feel like you're not good enough you may feel like you're not going to make it you may feel like the past three years have worked against you and you don't know what to do and listen, if you come in here this morning and that's you and you feel lowly praise God because you're real close to the kingdom but if you came in here this morning and you've got it all figured out you're on your way you're doing big things hear me say this I feel sorry for you because you're nowhere near the kingdom this is why Mary says in Luke chapter 1, verse 51, she says, He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones, and he has exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. In other words, the kingdom of God is for the people who actually need God. Y'all okay? That was hard. Christians seek humility. We seek lowliness because we have a God who's already strong and already important. And Mary is the definition of that. Mary is the definition of not special. And praise God, if you're here this morning and you feel not special, you're in good company. But Mary was lowly, and this is good. If, that, if you feel discouraged, you feel like I just beat you up, okay? It's about to get better, okay? Mary was lowly, but the kingdom of God turns everything on its head because she found favor. What's it mean to find favor? God knew her name. Think about this. In a world that did not even name Mary, God knew her name. And listen, God knew her name so much that 2,000 years later, in a place in Simpson in South Carolina, all the way removed from Nazareth, all the way removed from Bethlehem, you know what? We're still talking about her name. Why? Because God exalts the humble. God knew her name. But get this, it gets better. God made a way for her to have salvation because she was never going to do it on her own. Remember, we see she's not even a good Jew. She can't even obey the law. God made a way for her to be saved. And here may be the most beautiful thing. God had a plan for her life to be used for the kingdom of God. Man, God loves the lowly. And understand this. The same grace, the same favor that was offered for Mary is offered for you this morning. God knows your name. 
God knows your name. God knows your hurt. God knows your pain. He is not distant. He cares. God knows your name. And get this, God's made a way for you to be saved. You know that you'll never be good enough to do it on your own. You know that you'll never obey enough. You'll never give enough. You'll never love enough. You'll never sing loud enough. You'll never have good enough thoughts. Guess what? doesn't matter. God made a way for you to be saved. And believe it or not, you may not think that you're, you have any value to the kingdom, but God has a plan for your life to be used for the kingdom of God. Amen. I love the way John Piper said this in an Advent devotional. I'm saying he said this, God is a big God for little people. Praise God. So let's close this morning with this. Mary is an example for, of salvation to us. Because to be saved, here's what we need. We need to do what Mary did. We need to surrender to God's call and ask for God's grace. Do you need to be saved today? Listen, I prayed this morning that if there was one person here who did not know Jesus today, they'd be saved. If that's you, this is what you need to do. You can pray something like this in just a minute. You can pray, God, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that the only way I will ever be saved is by your grace alone. Thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for my sin. I surrender my life to you. If that's you, when we start this invitation song, will you pray something just like that? And listen, here's what I know. If you are lowly enough to ask, God is big enough to answer. And then maybe you're here this morning and you're a Christian. Can I encourage you? Sit in the simplicity of Mary's story. That all it means to be a Christian in this tired and weary world is surrender and favor. Surrender to God and ask for his favor. So let's get out of the ditch when it comes to Mary. Let's understand something, guys. She's not worthy of worship, but we need to give her due respect because more than anything, she deserves honor because she brought to us by the command of God, the King of kings, the God who became a man, the Savior of our souls, Jesus Christ. And behold, the Gabriel said to her, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus and he will be great and be called Son of the Most High and the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no Pray with me. God, thank you so much that that's true. Thank you so much that that's true, God. And Lord, I, I'm leaving here encouraged today, dear God, that the Word of God's a cup of cold water to me. Dear God, that it does not matter how tired I am, dear God, that I can walk with you. I can, I can surrender my life to you. I can find grace. I can find favor. I can find love. And dear God, it's because you came to us. Praise God you came to us. So we lay ourselves before you now in Jesus' name. Amen.